Let's give it up for the Lord, speaking to us, teaching us, growing us, even through worship. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned it before. My name's Hayden Radner, and I'm honored to be one of the pastors here at Walk Church and take us deeper into the scriptures here today. If you have a Bible, we're going to find our way camped out in John chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at a specific part in the scriptures that I pray would be productive and helpful and life-giving and profit us today as we dive deeper into God's word. I mentioned that it is the start of Holy Week today. Some call it a great week because of all the different things that this week represents. I like to call this the Christian version of March Madness. Can I get an amen from somebody? As a basketball fan, I love this time of the year. I was itching last year because I was missing the games. I was watching Oral Roberts in Arkansas yesterday play and came down the last minute. I was like, nobody talk to me. I'm locked in. Like, please. Right? And it was a great game. Um, But I feel like in a lot of ways, for the Christian, for the disciple, for those who are part of this church family, this is a big week. Amen? We're, we're focused on the reality that our God came on a rescue mission to live the life that we couldn't live, born of a virgin, the prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah 7 and 9, to live the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, though we were called to live, the to then die the death we deserve to die. But he would die in our place, but wouldn't stay dead. Come on, right? He would rise so that we could be free. We could be saved. We could have eternity with him. And so this week is the climax of all that. This week is the week that we remember that it actually happened. That we're not looking forward to one day, I hope there's a Messiah who would one day come and save us. But we're looking backwards saying, no, he came and he did do everything in our place to save us. So we're starting a new series today that we're titling, He Got Up. Come on, one more time, say it with me. Say, He Got Up. He Got Up. But before we really focus, that's a spoiler alert. So if you don't know the gospel, the good news is that Jesus wins. He rises from the grave. We're going to focus more on that next Sunday, but... Today's message, I want to preach a message from the subject title, he, he Went Up. He Went Up. And what do I mean by that? Well, before he got up from the grave, before he went to the cross, he went up into Jerusalem to make his final descent into the city of peace that he loved so much. The Bible teaches us that Jesus made several trips to Jerusalem throughout his earthly life. You can find him there even in the beginning days of his life, being presented at the temple. You find a guy named Simeon and a prophetic woman named Anna. Later on, when he was 12 years old, Jesus made himself back to Jerusalem, where he was, even at the age of 12, was teaching the rabbis and the scholars in Luke chapter 2. And on four different occasions in his life, he made his way to Jerusalem to celebrate what the Bible calls Passover. Passover is a Jewish holiday that lasts for an entire week that encompasses various festivals and parties and food and 
uh, rituals and different moments that God set in place for his people back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 11 through Exodus 21, you find God saving his people out of the hand of Pharaoh, God rescuing his people from slavery, God parting the sea, God doing miracles, God sending plagues, God calling his people to freedom. And God says this, he says, I want to make sure you don't forget what I've done. And we can't blame God because we do it all the time, don't we? Like next week you might like stub your toe and be like, I don't know if God's real, man. We do that type of stuff. Like, oh, well, what about, you know, one day we're convinced, the next day we forget. And God's saying, I want to put markers in place. One of the markers we have as Christians is called communion, where we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. In the Old Testament, you'll find this very key marker called Passover. And Passover represents when the Lord passed over his people in Israel through the shedding of blood, which came from a lamb. Does that language sound familiar to anybody? That what God did thousands of years ago in Exodus, where he passed over his people to rescue them and set them free from slavery through the shedding of blood from the lamb, is that not what Jesus does for the believer where he passes over our sin if we have a blood covering from the lamb, Jesus Christ? Amen? The, every story in the Bible is actually a pointer to Jesus. Jesus is the final sacrifice for us. And so Passover is meant to remember what God did in Exodus. Passover is meant for us to remember what he did at the cross. And so Jesus is now going up to Jerusalem during Passover. And we're about to see how he makes his triumphal entry. So if you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's see, Father, before we eat from this word today, now that we have the context, the stage is set, God, we ask that you would humble us, give us ears that hear, give us eyes that see, give us hearts that are ready to receive, and teach us your word, God. I pray for those who are online, those who are here in the room, I pray for the kids that are learning about Palm Sunday right across the way as they make little palm branches and learn about Jesus and the word Hosanna, God, I pray that you would give their little hearts faith and that you would wake us up here today too, to the revelation of who you are from the first ever Palm Sunday. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us and save us and teach us and grow us. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12, the text reads, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's a prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. And 16 says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done 
to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. He went up. He went up. This is the the fourth Palm Sunday passage that we find throughout the Bible. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find in each account there's a specific segment that remembers Palm Sunday. Why is that important? Well, for my Bible, Bible scholars in the room, mind you, all of us should be Bible scholars. We should all love to look closely at the study of God's Word. Matthew 21 Matthew describes Palm Sunday. Mark 11, Matthew, Mark describes Palm Sunday. Luke 19, Luke gives us an account of Palm Sunday. But today we're focusing in on the Gospel of John. Each Gospel account tells us how they saw Palm Sunday. And there's nuance and there's caveats and there's little moments that stick out. But there's some moments in this text that I want to draw our attention to. Let's go ahead and start in verse 12. It says, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This is important to just remember because it's a big deal that Jesus showed up, right? This is the climax of Jesus' life. He had been doing full-time public ministry for three years. He's already walked on water. He already turned water into wine, Right? He's been healing people from leprosy. Who does that? He's been, he just last week raised Lazarus from the dead. People are showing up from everywhere to get a glimpse of this God-man. Now, not everybody's motivation is pure, right? Some people just want to take a selfie with Jesus in the background, post it so they can get some likes. They're there for the clout, the hype. Right? Some people are there because... They want an autograph. Some people are there because they want to get healed. Some people are there because they see Jesus as the fulfiller of the messianic role who would one day come and save people. And so there's all types of different visions. Some people are there because they believe Jesus is the king, but maybe they don't know what they mean by that. Maybe people are there because they are in need of something, but There's a large crowd there, rightfully so. Mind you, Jerusalem is the hub for the Passover. People are gathered around the temple. This is a triumphal entry. Verse 13 says, So they took branches of palm trees. What was the semblance of these branches? I want to talk about the branches just for a moment. It's Palm Sunday. You might be thinking, what is Palm Sunday even Four, what is the significance? This is the significance of the start of Holy Week. This is the starting point where Jesus makes his way to the cross. He comes in on a donkey and people have palm branches. Branches from palm trees represented two main things. It represented that there's victory and represented that there's triumph from a king. So when people pulled out palm branches in this day and they began waving them, it was a symbolic form of worship to say, you have led us into victory. It was something that would happen from a military leader or a king who would come back from battle and he would make his grand entrance in. People would get these palm branches to say, we have victory, we have triumph. But what they say here is very interesting as well because we're noticing that wasn't completely the motivation as well. 
Because palm branches also were a Jewish national symbol. Even the palm branches were symbolic of the crowd's political aspirations. The palm was the symbol of the coin of the Second Maccabean Revolt. So waving a palm branch was symbolic of your Israelite nationalistic spirit. So they're saying this Jesus is the king who's going to save the day. But we notice some things about Jesus that he might not be the king that they were expecting. They might have been expecting a different type of king. They used this language. They took branches of palm trees and they began to cry out, Hosanna. Everybody say that word, Hosanna. Hosanna. The word Hosanna, it's the Greek word that follows the actual Hebrew word, Hoshina, which means, Lord, save now. Lord, save now. The actual original version of Hosanna is found in a psalm that King David wrote in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. Here, let's look at it from the King James Version. Let's go back a few years. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. This phrase right here is Hosanna. Our English language translates it save now, but the author originally wrote, Hosanna, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. David wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus stepped on the scene, but now the people are identifying this prophetic psalm with Jesus, the Messiah. Save us now, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee. The, King, the ESV translation says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. It's a good prayer to pray, amen? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord, and we do here today as well. They're, they're calling out with this phrase, Hosanna, and they're saying, Lord, save us now, we pray. So if you were to ask me, what's the importance of Palm Sunday, why is it such a big deal? Well, I would say it's such a big deal because it's Jesus revealing to us that he is the Savior. Man, I thought there would be one amen on that. I guess it wouldn't come out right. Jesus went up to reveal that he is the Savior. The reason why we struggle to say amen there is because we're too familiar with the language. Because we don't fully tap in to the reality that we need a Savior. Before, before we could ever really appreciate good news, friend, we first must understand the bad news. That we need a You never find a Savior in need where people are already saved. Why do we need a Hosanna? Because we need to be saved. Imagine somebody goes to a hospital for a yearly checkup. They do a quick checkup from the doctor. The doctor says, I see something that's a little bit off. Let me go ahead and run some reports. The person leaves and says, that's a little strange. I feel fine. The doctor comes back and says, here's your report. I think you need to sit down. I'm seeing something on here that actually is terminal. And friend, you are going to die. And all of a sudden the person says, 
what? And the doctor says, you are going to die, that you have an issue wrong with you that's going to lead to your death. And the doctor walks out of the room. The person is squirming, what do I do? What do I think of this? In the weight of that reality, until the doctor walks back in and says, but there's a cure. Can you imagine the feeling, the joy, the praise, the, oh, the OMG in a good way? Wow. Where is it? What do I need? Well, I need that. Give me the prescription. Jesus is making it known on Palm Sunday, the first ever Palm Sunday, that we have a diagnosis that leads to our death. We need Hosanna. We, we need a Savior, a real Savior, not a counterfeit Savior. But the Savior that is strong enough and big enough and holy enough and God enough to save the day. I want to remind you from a, a popular text that oftentimes gets left out. A text in Scripture that oftentimes gets cut off right before you get there, but it's so good. Maybe you guys know it. It's John chapter 3, verse 17. I like it, Mark. Such a good word that sometimes we tend to cut it off too short. I love 316. Promise you I do. I'm a John 316 fan. I'm a product of John 316. But, but 17 teaches us this, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Can I get an amen? God did not send Jesus to condemn you. But in order that the world might be saved through him. So God sent Jesus to save you. He didn't save Jesus to condemn you, but let me tell you why. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Jesus didn't come on a condemnation mission. You were already condemned, brother, sister, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I want to share something with you, and it's going to be bold. It's going to be risky. Some of you might not come back, but I don't want you to ever think that I was so unloving that I didn't tell you how to get out of hell. The reality is this. You and your brother and your mom and your dad and your cousin and your sister and your neighbors are all destined for eternity apart from God in an eternal place where God is not there, it's apart from his presence, you're headed there unless you're saved. You are, you are condemned already. Like, hear me, you're not a good person. You, you are on your way to hell. You are condemned already. You're going to die 100% of the people in the room and watching online will one day die. You'll breathe your last and you'll go to an eternity apart from God. But there's a cure. I, I would be horrible if I lied to you and said that wasn't true. Or your good deeds can get you into heaven. The Bible would actually tell you your good deeds are filthy rags to God. Your good deeds couldn't stack up enough. Your bad deeds will tumble over it every time. You're already condemned, friend. 
But the good news of the gospel, Palm Sunday is important. Easter week is important because God didn't want that to be your destination. God wanted to do everything he could possibly do, so that's not your destination. He came on a mission to save us. Palm Sunday reveals to us that we have a Savior. The thing that, that's really interesting about Palm Sunday is every other time you see Jesus get around a big crowd, what does he say? It's not my time yet. Hey, actually, don't go tell everybody what happened. People are getting healed. People are walking for the first time in their life. Their eyes are seeing for the first time. They're tasting. They're, they're walking on. And Jesus is like, yeah, don't tell nobody. What? This is the first moment that Jesus says, let it happen. I'm coming in. I'm stepping in. I'm declaring who I've always been. Jesus says, I've always been the Savior. I came in order that you might be saved. Jesus says, I came for that reason. I came in order that you might be saved so that you wouldn't experience the condemnation that is heading for you. You don't have to experience that because you have somebody who took your condemnation on his back on the cross. We're, we're working toward that. Why did Jesus have to brutally die? Because we were condemned and he took our place. The great substitute of the gospel is so helpful for us in this time. We have a Savior. That's why Hosanna is so key, that this Savior came to give life. Now, did everybody on that Palm Sunday originally have that in mind? I don't think so. I think they were confused. How come he's on a donkey, not on a horse? How come he doesn't have a sword strapped to his leg? Here's what Tony Morita says. He says, the Messiah came to bring spiritual salvation from sin's tyranny. Not political salvation from the tyranny of Rome. The problem was the Jews' vision. They were short-sighted. They thought the big enemy was Rome. Jesus wasn't concerned with the Romans. He was focused on the enemies far greater and far more powerful. He came to defeat sin and death. Amen? Jesus came to defeat sin and death. you got to hear it because sometimes you might be thinking, man, this sin is too much for me to defeat. You're probably right. You couldn't do it, but he can. Jesus in you, through you, Christ in you can defeat any sin in you. Christ through you can defeat death that's heading our way. The sting of death was removed. The fear of death gone because of Christ who's in us. We, we, we believe that that is helpful for our soul. I guess what I'm trying to do is help us remember. Help us remember. Help us remember. This first Palm Sunday is a big deal because Jesus for the first time is declaring, I am who I've always been. I'm the Savior. I'm Hosanna. Save. Now, the question that I want to ask is he your savior? Yes. Amen, Jabber. <laughs> Love that faith. Is, it, is he your savior? It's a question I want you to wrestle with. Have you made this King Jesus your savior? I love the song we sang earlier when Ashton led it. it. The king of my heart. Have you made Jesus the king of your heart? Or is someone else the king of your heart? Is, this, is a sport the king of your heart? 
Is a sin the king of your heart? Is a food the king of your heart? Is your job the king of your heart? Is your spouse the king of your heart? Are your kids the king of your heart? Those things can't save you. Those things are good things, no doubt. God affirms they're good things, but they're not saving things. Is Jesus your Savior where everything else falls far second? That's the question I want you to wrestle with. Church, online, those who are in the room, where everything, everybody say everything, everything is second. Maybe everything is third. I don't know. Maybe everything becomes fifth. It's like Jesus is my Savior, everything else. I think there's just too much competing. And this is a good place to camp out. I got a couple other points. I'm going to make them quick, but I just want to lean into this moment. Let me pray. Father, I just pray right now. I think that there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, but is ready to know you as Savior. Right now, in this moment, online, in person, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the one who gives you that cure, the one who gives you the remedy against eternity in hell, our sins have separated us from a good God, but we have a good God who sent a Savior. Right now, just say, Jesus, I believe. I need to be saved. I'm ready to be saved. Give me faith. I turn from my past. I'm ready right, th right this moment. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me. Change me. Heal me. Give me a new destination. Take away my condemnation. Save me. Yes, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 I believe somebody made a decision right there. I do. We love to hear about it. Please fill out a connection card. There were people in the, past, the previous service that were making decisions. And decisions turn into disciples. And that's our prayer here at Walk Church is that you would... You'd say, okay, it's not just going to stay here in this chair. It's going to move into the city. And then you become an ambassador for the gospel. You become a carrier of the gospel. You become somebody who has a different type of vaccine. You have a vaccine everywhere you go. It's called the gospel for eternity. And you've got to bring that thing. We all have it. And maybe it starts with an invite talked about that earlier. Let's continue reading the text in John chapter 12. It says that the next day the large crowd that had came to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, this next part, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I love that phrase right there. They're declaring who Jesus is. He, he carries the name of the Lord. Once again, it doesn't hit like it should. I think we hear that phrase, the name of the Lord, and it sounds like religious jargon. That's cool, the name of the Lord. But I think if we were to place ourselves in this ancient culture, if we were to have a very real understanding of the power of the name of the Lord, you would have, you'd be on the edge of your seat right now, like, the name of the Lord? Do you know in the Bible, God warns people from saying the name of the Lord too quickly? 
In fact, Hebrews and rabbis, even till this day, treat the name of the Lord very carefully. For, some, so for someone to say, oh yeah, I come in the name of the Lord, if you were lying, you were dying. God doesn't play with his name. Remember hearing about one rabbi who was a seminary professor, when he would write the name Yahweh, when he would write the name of the Lord, he wouldn't erase it. He said, I'm not touching that. That's God's name. Nobody could come in the name of the Lord. That is a title reserved for God himself. God says, if you get too close to this mountain, you'll die. If you get too close to this presence in the tabernacle, you'll die. If you misrepresent my name, people were, had, a, had a healthy reverence of the name of the Lord. In this case, Jesus says, I am the name of the Lord. I come carrying the name of the Lord. Palm Sunday, let me give you the second point. Jesus reveals that he's the Savior, but he also reveals that he's the Lord. That Jesus has another name. He's not just Savior. He's also, say it with me, the Lord. Jesus carries the name Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Lord. Let me give you my second question of application. The first one was, do you know Jesus as Savior? The second one, do you know Jesus as Lord? The word Lord means Boss, master, CEO, the one who's in control, the one who makes the decisions for you. See, a lot of times people say, hi, and what's your opinion on this? You guys have heard me say that. I'm not the Lord. I don't make the decisions. The Lord makes the decisions. Who's the Lord? Jesus. He comes in the name of the Lord. He comes saying, here's my name, Lord. Maybe you've read this in Philippians chapter 1. It says, every knee, do y'all know it? Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Thank you, Vashon. And every tongue confess that, do y'all know it? That Jesus is Lord. That, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The big announcement there is that he's the Lord. Nobody ever would dare claim to be the Lord if they weren't the Lord. But Jesus can. Jesus carries that title. Jesus carries that name. He's the Lord. Do you know him as the Lord? Because those on Palm Sunday, they, they announced it right. They said he comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus would show up in the city of peace, Jerusalem, expecting to be honored, expecting to be received, but they didn't receive him as Lord. I once heard it put from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great missionary and disciple maker who led people to Christ during the Holocaust and saved many people. He said, either you know Christ as Lord of all or you don't know Christ at all. That it's either you know Jesus as the Lord or you don't know Jesus of the Bible. You know a different Jesus that's not the Jesus represented on Palm Sunday. He carries the name of the Lord. Jesus would go to the people in Jerusalem and weep. Why was he weeping? They didn't see him as Lord and he was right in front of them. How do you see Jesus today? I mean, 
See him as Savior, yes, but don't see him as a genie in the bottle. Don't see him as, oh yeah, Jesus is my token Savior. Whenever I do something wrong, I go to Jesus the Savior, he forgives me, and then I go on with my life. So you know Jesus as Savior, you don't know him as Lord. That's what you call a reductionist view of the gospel. You've reduced Jesus into only a Savior. I carry my Savior around. Not, he doesn't tell me what to do, he just saves me. But you need a full view a full view of Jesus, Jesus says, there's another text in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, yo, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Doesn't make sense. We need to learn how to play the game, um, follow the leader again. Y'all remember follow the leader? Right? It's a simple game. We got too many like digital games now, but like there was once a game where it, the, there was a leader that said, okay, I'm the leader. And then they say, all right, put your hand up. And everybody put their hand up. And they would say, like, put your, put your left foot out. <laughs> That's the hokey pokey. That's the wrong game. My bad. Right. My, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm follow leader. <laughs> I, can, I keep mixing those up. But y'all know what I'm saying. We're like, Jesus is like, okay, okay, here we go. Follow leader. Here's what we're going to do. And we're like, oh, I'm not playing the game. I just will show up next Sunday and we'll call the play. Here's the play. Here's what we're going to do. Ready? Break. And we just go home. Jesus is saying, I don't know if you know me as Lord. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus uses this language. Same verbiage. He says it like this. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of God. Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing I've found that too many people are just not willing. I'm grateful that you're here today, that you're willing to see Jesus as Lord. He continues, see, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is looking for us to acknowledge with faith who he is in his fullness. Amen? That he is the Lord. And the reality is, this is a challenging word, but the reality is one day all of us will confess that. Now, either you'll bow yourself or your kneecaps will shatter. I would rather just do it. Don't let, don't let God pry your fingers off of your life so he can be the Lord of your life. It's so much more freeing when Jesus is Lord. Do y'all hear me? There's so much more freedom when you stop being the Lord of your life, the Lord of your home, the Lord of your family, the Lord of your marriage, just let Jesus be Lord. Let Jesus Lord your life. Let Jesus run it. The Lord of your kids, the Lord of your tough conversations, the Lord of your job. Jesus is Lord. There's not one square inch on the planet that Jesus doesn't say, I'm the Lord over that. You might not acknowledge it, but it's true. In eternity, it will be true. But you can hurry up and say, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and make that decision now. 
I'm going to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And Jesus will say, gladly, I've been waiting to help you. I've been waiting to change you and save you and heal you and redeem you. You don't have to make every decision on your own. To be honest, majority of the decisions are already made for you. If you know Jesus as Lord. That's what we see here in Palm Sunday. Hosanna, the Savior who is also the Lord. He carries that name. Let me go ahead and continue us on to the third and final point. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Third point of the sermon here today is simply this, that the Lord reveals to us that he's the king. Right? This one text on the original Palm Sunday, Jesus declares, I'm the Savior, I'm the Lord, I'm the king. And we need to go three for three. Amen? Amen. This March Madness, make sure you hit all three. Don't have a gospel reductionist view where you say, I got Jesus as Lord, but I don't know him as Savior. That's a very tough gospel. That's very cold. That means I do a whole lot of works and duty because I have a boss, but he's not my friend. He's not my Savior. Don't know Jesus as Lord, but not the Savior. Don't know Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. And friend, know him as the king of it all. The king of Kings, says the text. He is even the king of Israel. He went up to reveal that he is the king. Palm Sunday, Jesus is revealing his kingship. But maybe this is the king that they weren't ready for. Maybe this is the king that they didn't expect. To be honest, this is the most hypocritical crowd I've ever seen. This crowd would be like a crowd that cheers for a basketball team on one day, and then the next day they cheer for a different one. This same crowd, what did you say, George? Jeez. Well, this crowd right here, right, this crowd right here is, is so back and forth. This day they're calling him Hosanna, the Lord, the King. In a couple of days they're saying, crucify him, we'll take Barabbas, a murderer and convicted felon. Jesus knows what it feels like to experience injustice. Jesus knows what it feels like to be overlooked. Jesus knows what it feels like to be lied about. Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. Maybe here's a few reasons why. R. Kent Hughes says, The crowd fully expected to see Jesus issue a call to arms and drive out the hated Romans in the midst of the tumult. Our Lord did something the surging mob did not understand. 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah declared in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. This is the moment. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, we find Jesus coming in on a donkey. And I think we, we may be a little familiar with the story, but for those who are first time witnessing it, it freaked them out. 
Why would he come in on a donkey? When kings came back from battle, when kings rolled into the city, there would be a huge parade. There would be the entire militia strapped with all their weapons up front marching. A whole gamut of them. Behind them, there would be a band, trumpets playing, exhorting, and behind them would finally arrive the king. He would come in on a stallion, a beautiful horse, declaring the king has arrived, sword on his hip, crown on his head. Here, here, we see none of that. No soldiers, no stallions, no trumpets, Jesus and a donkey. What a king. Jesus declaring, I don't need any of that to be king. I, I, I don't need approval. I don't need praise. I don't need help or protection. He's coming in and nobody can touch him. He's, he's coming in on a donkey and everybody is like, Hosanna, where's, where's the, what is happening right now? And then some thought, oh snap, this is Zechariah 9.9 happening right this moment. He's here. That's him. Jesus is the messianic fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 that was said 500 years before. Tony Morita in his commentary says, the choice of the donkey reveals this king will achieve his victory through humility. The salvation he secures will come through meekness. He doesn't come to destroy other nations, but to proclaim peace to all the nations. This picture of Palm Sunday shows Jesus fulfilling the second part of George's sermon last week, which was fantastic, by the way, right? That, that the gospel of peace, right? The second armor part, right? Jesus says, hey, put on the full armor of God, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Those were first worn here on the donkey as Jesus rode in. Like how Thabiti Anuwabi says it. He says, when kings come to cities in times of war, they came on mighty war horses, terrible steeds. But when kings came on a donkey, it meant they were coming in peace. Here is the king of peace entering the city of peace on a beast of peace. He's come to make it known. He's bringing peace. What a moment. What a moment for Jesus to declare war on sin and war on death, but peace to us. The, the donkey represents that our king comes in humble. Our savior comes in not prideful, not needing the credit, not needing everybody to acknowledge him. He knows he's secure in who he is. And yet everybody wants to be around him. Jesus spent the last three years telling everybody to stop. Don't, it's not my time yet, but right here, he lets it happen. I love how R. Kent Hughes says it. He says he knew exactly what he was doing when he rode into Jerusalem on it. 
He was identifying himself with the long-awaited Messiah. At the same time, he was saying he was not like other world conquerors, past or future, Alexander, Tiberius, Napoleon, Brokasa, saying, I'm different. The donkey was a royal beast, but it was an animal of peace, a humble animal. Jesus was a new kind of king, but no one understood that. Jesus was making his way to the cross, and he came in on a humble animal. A quote that I oftentimes read, and we'll get ready to close, a quote that uh, has stirred my affections for Jesus that much more and has grown me as a leader, and have I no way arrived, but I'm challenged by it, comes from a quote from the, the French European leader Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon, in his later days in his life, in the early 1800s, wrote this in a journal as he looked back on his military career. He began to think, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, myself founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius upon sheer force? Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men will die for him. Come on, amen? Wow. I love that quote right there. And it's true, Jesus rolled in on the donkey, declaring that, number one, I am Hosanna, the Savior. Number two, I am the Lord of all. And number three, I am the King of kings. But the way that I king is different than how you may know it. So I want to ask you that third question. Do you know Jesus as the humble King of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you're for us, not against us. Thank you that our king is not against us. You're the king who's with us. God, we love you. We need you. We trust you. And God, I pray for everybody here right now and those who are online. God, I pray we would receive you gladly as Savior, Lord, and King. That we would receive you as Lord of all. We would receive you as Savior of all. We'd receive you as King of all. But personally, King of our hearts, Lord of our lives, Savior of our sins, forgiver of our past, provider of our current and present and future. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, maybe you came in and you didn't know him, but through this service, through the worship, through the preaching, something connected, the light bulb went off. Today you said, you know what, I'm ready. I can't wait another day. Hosanna, save me now with all heads bowed, with all eyes closed. 
that's you and you need to make that decision publicly right now, would you just slip your hand up as a response to what Jesus has done in your life? God, I thank you for everybody who has their hand up right now. Thank you for everybody that's making a decision right now. I see hands up all over the room, people making decisions, young and old saying, yes, Jesus, yes, you're going to be my Lord. Yes, I'm ready for you to be my king. Yes, I'm ready for you to be my savior. Lord, touch every hand, touch every heart. Lock hands with them right now. Lock hands, Jesus, with them bring salvation to their soul. Call them to you, Jesus. Call them to repentance. Call them to faith. Call them to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. To trust you even when it hurts. To trust you even when it looks foggy. To trust you. To step out of the boat. To walk on water. To trust you. Thank you that you're still Hosanna, Jesus. We will worship you as such. We honor you today as the King, Lord, and Savior of our lives and of this church, in person and online. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Praise God.